we have a vast excess of available energy in solar, wind, wave, hydro, but we're not very good at capturing and storing that for later use. Right? You know, you can't grab that noontime solar profit and put it in a bank somewhere. And you know, right now we're we're all stuck on batteries. I, you know, batteries are great. We're going to build that technology better. I don't think it has ultimately the capability to store energy uh, that we need. So that that's that's my you know hopeful prediction. We've solved the storage problem so that we can capture this available excess of, of renewable energy. Hello, 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 and welcome back, listeners, to the Future Tips podcast with me, Jack Burke. I hope you're all doing really well indeed. As always, before we get on with today's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. If you like what you're listening to on the Future Tips podcast, if you're a fan of what we're doing, then please consider giving us a like, maybe even giving us a follow wherever it is you listen to this podcast, even sharing it perhaps with your friends and family. That would really help us out. Uh, you can also find us on our socials. We are at Futuratives across the board. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and we're on Telegram. So feel free to follow us and come say hello. So, Let's get on with today's episode. So if you've ever stood by the ocean and watched the waves roll in, curling repeatedly into the sand and sending spray sky high against a rocky shore, then you've probably experienced the seemingly infinite power of the ocean. Well, the big question is, is what if we could harness some of that renewable energy to power our homes and businesses? And I guess the biggest question is, is how far are we away from wave energy being a key component in humanity's bid to solve the global warming crisis? So to help explore these questions, I'm very glad to be joined by Professor Burke Hales. Burke not only has an amazing first name, but from working out of Oregon State University, he is a world leading expert on coastal ocean carbon cycles, ocean acidification, as well as measurement and experimental manipulation technology. And if that wasn't enough, he is also the chief scientist at the PacWave project. PacWave is an open ocean wave energy testing facility consisting of two sites, each just located a few miles from the deep water port of Newport, Oregon on the ever energetic Pacific Ocean. The aim of PacWave is to become the world's leading test site for private companies to test and champion wave energy devices to hopefully expand the globe's wave energy industry. So it all sounds really exciting and Burke is on the forefront of some really interesting stuff when it comes to wave technology. So that's why I got on with this pod and I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode of the Futures podcast all about wave energy technology. Hello, Bert. Welcome to the Fugitives podcast. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. How are you? Good, good. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the outreach. No, uh, it's absolutely my pleasure to have you on, on board. I, I want to start off, Bert, before we get into harnessing uh, wave energy, which is obviously your specialist field, um, I think we have to address the elephant in the room. This is the first time in my life I've met someone whose first name is my last name. Um, I've met plenty of Burks with the surname, um, so I wanted uh, to know: is there any Irish heritage uh, in your family, yeah. and, and what's the? What, was is there a story between your first name being Burke? Uh, well, the the short story is that uh, my my grandfather uh, married a woman from the Burke family in Wyoming, uh, and uh, in that particular family, there were no um, there were no male descendants, uh, and so they they chose to name their second son after the family's surname to, to carry the 
to carry the name on. And then I was, I was named after him. That's my uncle. The, in our family, the story for ever has been that uh, it was actually German. Uh, uh, Birkenheimer was the name and it was ah. shortened at Ellis Island. Um, I, I think that may have been a convenient story for the, you know, to tell during the anti-Irish days in, in the U.S. Yeah, potentially. So I, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes those records weren't uh, particularly well kept. For sure. Well, like I say, it's a great place to change your identity at that time. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe for a conversation we can take offline, but uh, I'll be happy to tell you that the the Burke surname is a a very strong Irish surname, particularly on the West Coast, where my family are from. Um, And so, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, if you want to find out more about the heritage, I can tell you a lot more about where the surname comes (laughs) from. Uh, But yeah, like I say, first time in my life I've met someone with the first name uh, Burke, especially spelt in the same way. So anyway, um, so, so, so names aside, Burke. Um, today's topic is all about harnessing um, wave energy. Um, uh, you're a professor, obviously, in this subject. What brought my attention to this topic um, and to your work was an article that I read in Wired magazine, um, which I read recently, but I believe it was published last year. Um, I'm just going to read um, a quote from that uh, from that article to sort of set everything up for this conversation. Sure. In, but in that in that uh, article, it said that wave energy has the potential. Uh, its potential is astonishing. Researchers estimate that waves offer the coast of the United States could generate as much as 2.64 trillion kilowatts of hours annually, equivalent to 64% of the country's total electricity generation in 2019. Now, that sounds absolutely staggering as a a statistic, and uh, I think it's going to sort of frame up the conversation nicely. But before we dive into that stat, I just want to start with yourself, Burke. Um, Could you give me a brief introduction into your experience, your background, and and, and your profession at large? Yeah, yeah. So my background is actually, uh, you know, my my training and, and my research career leading up to this work was not wave energy. I, I'm a carbon cycle uh, oceanographer. I, I uh, study carbon dioxide uh, cycling in the ocean, um, its perturbations uh, in response to anthropogenic CO2 increase and uh, impacts on chemistry and organisms. So I've done a lot of work on ocean acidification, working closely with uh, shellfish hatcheries. Um, okay. My, if you go a little further back, I do have a, a my bachelor's degree is is in engineering, uh, and my oceanographic work is um, very uh, uh, engineering and tech focused. I build the instruments that we use to to make these measurements. I build the devices on which they're deployed and, and through which the samples are collected. And so I'm sort of a you know I'm not a marine engineer. I don't have a card that says that, uh, but I do an awful lot of that kind of work. Uh, this project, the Wave Energy Project, uh, the test facility. Um, was developed originally through the engineering program at Oregon State University uh, and effectively at some point uh, it, it stopped really being about the, the technology of wave energy production and became an ocean infrastructure project. Uh, and so the, the project moved from the engineering college over into the, the oceanography college at, at my university. Uh, and I took uh, took the role as chief scientist in the fall of 2017. So I'm coming up on on five years in that role. Amazing. That is fantastic. So, Burke, just for the sake of our, our listeners, could you just give a very brief and simple overview about what harnessing wave energy is all about and, and, and principally how does it work? Uh, yeah. So the, in the very most simple form, uh, wave energy is the capture of the kinetic energy that's present in waves, you know, as those water parcels move up and down through the, the orbital paths that they follow. Uh, 
there's kinetic energy there. That energy ultimately came from uh, wind somewhere that created the waves. Uh, the wind ultimately is driven by the, the solar heating of the earth. Uh, but that energy is, is put into the, the ocean surface. Uh, those waves move then across ocean basins to, to coastlines uh, where, where people can try to capture that energy. Uh, the trick, of course, is that um, we're, we're not as versed in capturing um, oscillatory energy and turning it into a more usable form as we are with rotational energy or linear energy. Uh, you know, wind blows in the straight line, mostly. Uh, uh, it doesn't oscillate back and forth on timescales of, of, you know, seconds to, to tens of seconds uh, like wave does. And so that's the trick really is how do you take something that's a back and forth movement and turn it into a usable form of power? Uh, and so that's, that's what the, the wave energy developers are working on. They're trying to do that in the most efficient and uh, robust, uh, persistent way that they can. And PacWave is providing the, the testing facility for those folks to do that work in the ocean. In terms of, so the, the project that you're talking about is, is PacWave. Um, and that is um, the, the, is it a business, is it a government grant? Can you tell me a little bit more about what PacWave actually is and the work yeah. that it's doing currently? Yeah, well, right now the work that it's doing currently is, uh, is getting the facility built. And so we're deep in the, deep in the throes of construction and it's a, it's a very unique construction project. Um, uh, that involves, you know, not only the, the you know, over a decade's worth of work, uh, working with the community for siting the project, uh, where it's located, uh, where it would cause the least disruption to the local fishing and, and okay. uh, shipping communities, um, but also extensive uh, interaction with, with uh, the environmental agencies and, and the, the federal agencies to get the permits actually in place. And so the, you know, the, the site itself is at the moment, not a whole lot more than a very well characterized rectangle in the ocean, um, and you know we're we're trying to make the the electrical connection, the power connection um, between that rectangle and the local grid, uh, and that's ultimately what will happen: is that the devices will be out there at the site uh, that that produce the power. The power will be transmitted through uh, you know very long, very uh, very specific uh, cables that, that transmit power at up to five megawatts each. Um, uh, four of those cables will come back to shore. Uh, we're, we've finished building the, the underground infrastructure that will receive those cables. So conduits that bore down deep under the beach and, and break out through the seafloor about a mile away. And we're in the process of, of contracting and, and specifying the, the cable acquisition and the, and the actual installation. Um, once those cables are in place, we've got a facility that's up on the, the, sort of uphill side of the of the highway there on the coast um, about the tsunami zone um, and that facility will capture that power condition it turn it into a, a form that's compatible with the local grid and so ultimately there will be wave energy being you know fed back directly onto the the local utility grid i mean it sounds like you got your work cut out for you <laughs> yeah yeah you know uh waves i realized uh, this was not an intentional pun the the waves of stress that are coming with uh you know these big construction decisions are are huge um not not uh, it's all negative energy unfortunately yeah well ho hopefully it'll change for a positive soon um so that, that sounds fantastic and thanks for giving an oversight into that um I, I would love for, for the sake of our audience and even myself, Burke, to um, just take things back to the, the stat that I started off at the start sure. of this, um, yeah. this interview. So 
from my mind, uh, and I'm talking from a sort of, you know, uh, an outsider's from the industry point of view, I guess my first question is, that stat that I said at the start sounds like mm-hmm. there is a huge amount of potential that we could be leveraging from yeah. harnessing wave energy. And I guess my two questions to you is, why has it taken... Well, what, what, what stage is the industry at, at large and why has it? T- yeah. Why don't we hear more about uh, wave, harnessing wave technology in the same way as, right. let's say, solar and wind? Yeah. Uh, so so there, are, there, there are two sort of divergent threads in that question. And, and if I get too far down the rabbit hole on, on, on I'll really the first back. one, uh, reel me back in. Yeah, um, don't worry, but you go for it. Yeah. Well, so the, the important thing to remember is that PacWave itself is a, is a testing facility. So we're the, we're the arena in which the, uh, the, the wave energy producers will compete. Uh, and, you know, they compete, you know, with each other, they'll compete with physics, they'll compete with the ocean. Um, and, and we more or less have to be agnostic about, uh, about the technology because we're an accreditation uh, validation service provider. Um, and we can't, you know, we're not playing favorites about whose technology is the best and that sort of thing. Um, fundamentally, there is a, a dearth of test facilities globally. Um, there are maybe three uh, that actually have powered connections back onto the grid. Uh, and the, the leading example of that is the European Marine Energy Center, which is up on the Orkney Islands in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I had the the pleasure of, of the visit there. What a, those those Orkney Islands are fascinating places, just uh, gorgeous. And and the you know the early Anthropocene uh, or you know anthropology, uh, you know the the pre Stonehenge Stonehenge uh, yeah. systems up there, the sea cliffs, are just amazing. Uh, and and so you know what we're doing is testing, uh, and and there are really almost no testing facilities on Earth. Uh, so there's Emac, which is up in Orkney. Uh, uh, in Scotland, there's a, a facility called BMEP, which is in Biscay, Bay of Biscay in, in Spain, uh, smaller capacity than, than EMEC. And then there's a, a, a fairly, um, I, I would say, prototype level uh, test facility that's on, on Hawaii, um, on the Navy base there at, at Kaneohe Bay. Um, there are no, uh, you know, grid uh, integrated test facilities in any of the Americas, um, there there's talk of uh, bringing bringing that technology to bear in, in Australia and, and and certain areas in in Asia, uh, but right now um, that's the reason that you don't hear about Wave is that there's no there's no meaningful way to test at at commercial scale, um, right? Certainly in the Americas, uh, and you talk about wind and and uh, you know you're. <laughs> I'm an old man in comparison to you and probably your audience. Um, but you know, when I was, when I was growing up in sort of the, you know, the interior Northwest uh, where the wind blows all the time, um, people were, you know, people have been using wind energy for centuries, millennia, probably going back to, you know, the about early Dutch windmills, right. And yeah. things like that. Uh, sail, of course. Um, but I remember the first, uh, the first wind turbine devices that were that were being put out there to try to capture that wind resource and there was a huge diversity of devices almost none of them looked like the devices you see today uh and what was needed for that industry was the ability to test to really find the optimal design and and now that industry appears to have settled on on essentially one one design you know so the <laughs> the wind turbines that you see uh in in the Desert interior of the Pacific Northwest, look exactly like the wind turbines that you see on the on the slopes of Maui. Um, 
uh, very, very similar, you know, the three three bladed turbine design, you know, two to five megawatt output sort of devices. And the reason that the, that industry was able to converge on, on that best technology is they were able to test. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not easy to test anything at that scale, but it's a lot easier to test something on land um, where you can place it, where you know the resource <coughs> exists, where you know the, the access exists, where you know the infrastructure and the support exists. That's that's not as easily done in the ocean. Uh, I, so I see. Way, nobody's really been able to test these things at scale, so nobody really can say, you know, the early salter duct design is the best or the the wellow penguin design is the best. Got it. it's, it's very, very early, and it's dependent on that testing. So, so, so that just, was that was one of those two threads. But go yes, ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to just pick up on a few things you said there. So, what we are finding is is that actually there is a myriad of devices out there. There is a myriad of people attempting to, you know, harness the energy through different hardware solutions. However, the the actual hard part isn't necessarily constructing these different devices. It's actually being able to test them, as you said, on a commercial scale and being able to build out a um, the infrastructure to do that, and I think one of the final points you one of the points you made was and doing that in an indiscretionary way. So like where there's no bias in play, or or it, 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 have I summarized that correctly? Yeah, and and the only thing that that I think is really important that that isn't quite there in that summary is is survivability is is huge. Right. right? You know, so you have a bunch of really smart mechanical engineers, a bunch of really smart electrical engineers. The shipwright aspect of this is is really critical how these things survive in you know what's fundamentally a hostile environment um and how do they persist in these areas for you know years yeah um, that's that's a huge huge question and, and you know you can't <laughs> you can't simulate a you know a sea lion uh boarding your device in a, sure. in a scaled wave tank facility you can't it's, it's very hard to simulate, you know, waves and currents and winds that, that may not all be, you know, aligned with each other. Uh, you know, th those sorts of things are really challenging. For sure. So uh, going back to the, the quote at the start, though, it sounds, yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, and this sounds what's so confusing, but regardless of the engineering feats that are needed, you know, we've proven obviously time and time within our, within our race that we, we are capable of taking on huge engineering challenges so with the kind of potential like so i say you know 64 percent of the energy yeah. us yeah so let's, why let's has this not been a why, why 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 hasn't <laughs> everyone just dived into this i mean like, right let's do this yeah. it sounds like a great solution for global warming right right well you know certainly uh you know we we you know i've spent a career studying you know carbon cycle and impacts of anthropogenic carbon on, on the ocean ocean environment um you know you really don't <laughs> the, the whole notion that we're going to engineer our way out of this problem by, you know, grabbing carbon dioxide out of the air, air and, you know, stuffing it into fractured basalt, it's really, really important research. Um, it's, it's probably a long way away from us. And so ultimately what we have to do is stop producing so much carbon dioxide, um, certainly fossil carbon dioxide. And, and, you know, that means renewables. It means, you know, efficiencies in, in our, our energy system, but, but also different sources of energy. And, and to uh, <clears throat> come back to that number, um, I, uh, I'm, I don't want to criticize anyone's numbers and I haven't run Wired's number uh, to ground. Um, but please but feel, feel free to criticize <laughs> and talk freely. <laughs> Uh, but but here's how here's how they do this. There, there are fairly um, you know for for the science community the the calculations about how much energy is in a wave um, is is a fairly straightforward calculation. You know the the higher the wave is, the greater the greater the frequency, uh, the more energy is there. And so 
for every you know meter or kilometer of coastline, there's a certain amount of wave energy that that impacts on that coastline. And 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 again, that's a pretty easy calculation to do. You know, so you've got energy, you've got a length of a coastline, you've got a you know duration of a year. Um, you can turn that into into um, you know a kilowatt hour, megawatt hour kind of kind of a number. Uh, <laughs> the problem with that, and, and we've seen this in some other publications, uh, <clears throat> where what people really would love to do is to take that big number and just say, hey, that just immediately comes out of your outlet. Uh, and, and of course, that's not the case, right? You know, no, no device can take all of the energy out of every wave. And there would be no way, even at that, you know, extraction percentage, for you to take that amount of energy out of every single wave. Uh, and so <laughs> I think the more realistic numbers uh, are in the neighborhood of 10% of, of energy demand could be, uh, you know, after we do sufficient testing and, and you know, understand this technology, 10% is probably a more, wow. a more robust estimate. Um, wow. And even that may be optimistic, but, but that's more like it, right? And, and again, you know, the renewable energy, there, there is no one source that, you know, solves our, our renewable energy demand. And so this is a contributor to a portfolio that's got a different characteristic that complements these more volatile, you know, For sure. uh, sources of like solar and wind. That, um, okay, so we should scale back our, uh, some of the numbers out there. It sounds to me, Burke, from, from what uh, you and your team are doing at PacWave, you're on the forefront of really bringing this, well, trying to make this technology as a re as much as a bigger reality as possible. What would you say have been the biggest challenges to date? I guess, first of all, getting pack, uh, pack wave up to, um, you know, to where it currently is. Um, yeah. and, what, and what are the challenges that you're going to, to face over the next, I guess, three to five years? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we hope to be, uh, you know, energized cables, cables installed and, and, um, conditioning facility, you know, built, uh, we hope to be energized by, uh, late 2023. Um, you know, we're, we're right now, uh, <laughs> we're, we're straining, uh, to against that timeline right now. Um, and the idea is that we have devices in the water for test in the summer of 2024. Wow. Um, and the department of energy, who's our prime funder, uh, recently awarded, I think it was 25 million, uh, U.S. and funding for devices specifically to test at PacWave South starting in the summer of 2024. You know, so we've got we've got clients, uh, you know, supported and 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 anticipating being in the water in 2024, and, and we're we're doing everything we can to hold to that. Got um, it. You know, got it. So yeah. so so really, so so you guys have obviously set that you're setting the test facility up. But the U.S. federal government is also then supporting the prospective. Yeah. Uh, private companies to then make the devices to test your facility. And so by 2024, you're hoping that your f test facility be all up and running power cables attached yeah. to, to the earth. Yeah. And then we exactly. can, and then we, we're, we're good to go. You know, the idea that just industry is out there uh, willing to, to put, you know, money effectively after these efforts without really understanding things like, you know, what is the survivability? What are the risks? What are the environmental risks? And, and, mm. uh, uh, you know, we, we like to say, you know, nobody, <laughs> no seabirds were ever harmed by a, a, a wave spill, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we really don't have a, a waste product, 
right? Yeah. But still, we've got devices in the ocean, and they have to be anchored to the seafloor, and and you know these devices might might make noise in a way that disrupts marine mammal. Uh, have you met uh, Have you met much resistance from, let's say, animal rights activists or, or environmentalists who have uh, resisted this this technology, this research? You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say much. I mean, the the and certainly in comparison to you know other efforts uh, to do these sorts of things. You know, we <laughs> I, I think wind has has received more uh, you know resistance at, at a variety of levels than 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 we have in developing this facility. Um, you know, so it, it we've been really really fortunate. And again, it, it depends on the folks that were you know spinning this project up before I joined worked very, very closely with the, the local stakeholders, the coastal community, um, and, you know, worked with the commercial fishers who, uh, who said, you know, yeah, you know, we re- don't really want to give up any rectangles in the ocean, but if you did your rectangle here, that would be sort of least disruptive to us. Okay. Then uh, as a result of doing that and, and, you know, working with the community, we've had, we've had really good uh, um, engagement with the community as a result of that. Uh, you know, there are misconceptions that, that we have to, to work against. You know, there are people who are, like I said, you know, no device ever takes all of the energy out of any given wave. But, you know, we had people saying, you know, people come to visit our coasts to, you know, surf watch, to storm watch, to, to surf, uh, you know, to, to beachcomb, and you're going to take away our waves and, and destroy our tourism industry. It's like, well, no, that really isn't how it works. Um uh, you know, there were there are lots of folks who you know were really concerned about viewscape impacts, um, and and you know these devices, you know, unlike a, a, a wind turbine, a wave device needs to be very close to the water surface, right? That's where the energy is, and so these devices don't stick up, you know, and you you know they're they're less you know visually disruptive than a ship, uh, and, and and so those are but those are things that we had to work against, you know, and and uh, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny. I think there's usually like a cultural uh, moment that happens. And if I just take wind wind turbines, for example, on a on a personal anecdote in the village that I grew up in, they they put up a wind turbine very close to sort of the village center, and a lot of people were in uproar about this. Right, you know, it spoiled the the view, or you know, it wasn't very pretty. However, my generation, and maybe I'm sort of t- talking to slightly old generations, like I say, it, it comes as a more of a kind of a cultural shock. Whereas I think younger generations would appreciate more the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, particularly in like wave, you know, wa- uh, wave energy uh, case, they'll go, well, actually, like that's moving us closer to a cleaner future. Then we can right. sort of sacrifice, well, sacrifice, <clears throat> quote unquote, um, right. you know certain liberties to know that actually this is providing yeah. a much better surface. So I think maybe there's just a cultural um acclimatization that needs to take place probably more than right. anything we're, we're on the fugitives podcast book so i like to sort of make sure we steer sort of the the last part of the conversation towards thinking about the future could you tell me like describe to me what a potential future what might look like visually if we were taking the figures you used earlier 10 percent of us's energy was coming from mm-hmm. waves what visually what would that look like if i did look out of the oceans and um and what yeah. sort of scale are we talking about here right Right. Uh, you know, that, again, like I said, I'd, I'd have to go back and run those numbers to ground and, yeah, and sure. figure out, you know, sort of what percentage of coastline coverage uh, folks are talking about. Um, you know, again, in the, you know, without me, um, <clears throat> you know, biasing, you know, for or against other companies, you know, I'd really recommend that your your listeners, you know, go out and, and uh, you know, <laughs> do a little do a little time on the web search and look at what these devices are like. Um, uh, there are some devices that are huge, you know, right. size of a house or a you know a 
you know, a research vessel, um, uh, one that was built uh, in Portland a couple of years ago, actually. Um, and when you get out there and walk around it and you think, oh, my God, this is this massive, massive thing. Um, well, it turns out that almost all of that infrastructure is below the sea surface. Right. And so, you know, what you see uh, is sort of, you know, a low pier kind of, uh, you know, uh, scaffolding um, walkway sort of thing. That's what's above the surface. And and all of the energy capture is, is below that. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and then, of course, um, you know, where where these devices are located is, is also really, really important um, uh, because <laughs> we, you know, our, our facility at the closest uh, is seven miles offshore. Uh, and, wow. you know, you, you cannot see because, you know, I'm assuming your, your, your viewers believe that the earth is round, uh, you know, yes. spherical and, and, uh, you know, you can't see over the horizon. Right. And so, you know, we, we had a lot of people saying, Oh my God, it's going to you know ruin the viewscape. And, and we're saying, no, you can't see it. And people are saying, you know, well, prove it. And we said, you know, how can you prove that you can't see something? And they said, well, you know, wait till there's a ship out there and then go to the beach and take a picture. And, you know, what you're taking a picture of is something you can't see. Wow. <laughs> and so Jesus. it's, it's really not a, not a provable uh, issue there. You know, if, you know, there are some devices that are, um, you know, intended to work in the surf zone. All right. And so they'd be, you know, right there on the beach. And that of course is going to have an impact and, and, you know, whether or not we're ever going to see, you know, a perimeter <laughs> of devices circling our, our coastal oceans, you know, I, I think that's a long way out. Uh, okay. And, uh, and the other thing that you just really need to think about is ultimately someone needs to profit, you know, <laughs> yes, it is, it is the economy that we're in. Uh, and, and the Pacific Northwest, because of this massive hydropower uh, resource that we have, it's not a great place to be a, a renewable energy developer because the hydropower has made electricity so inexpensive that it's very, very hard for a developer of new technology to come in and compete with technology that's providing energy at you know ten or twenty times lower cost. Yeah. Um, so yeah. those are those are all these considerations that you have to you have to think about. Oh, that's fascinating. It's almost like the. You know that the 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 R and D budgets that need to go into these kind of things sometimes they just don't really prove the ROI for existing technologies that are already right. in play. We often say that you know the devices that test at PackWave are very unlikely to become part of our energy portfolio in the Northwest on the timescale of you know a decade or or more. Right. However, there are places that don't have that uh, that renewable infrastructure where you know. They could be you viable know, options. Uh, island communities, um, you know, isolated communities. Those are places where we think this technology come into play. You know, Amazing. Where the, the cost per kilowatt hour is, you know, rather than the, you know, three three pennies per kilowatt hour of our, our wholesale price here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, no no new developer of technology can can profit at that level. I just want to I want to wrap up this conversation, Burke. Um, one of my sort of final questions for you is. What are your hopes for the next five to 10 years within the industry, particularly with PackWave in general? And, and I guess what excites you about the future or, or is it more doom and gloom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, people who know me have heard me say this before, but, you know, I, I've been a, a you know, a, a worrier since I was a little kid. My mom used to say I could find the cloud for any silver lining. Um, and, you know, sometimes that has served me well, you know, <laughs> I'm not surprised when things go sideways. Um, 
and at the same time, you know, being a being an environmental scientist, being a you know an, an avid outdoor enthusiast, you know, come from a family with a long line of, of environmentalism. Um, you know, it's it's really it's hard to study a problem like you know ocean acidification uh, and and only be able to say, you know, it's coming, it's going to be this bad, it will be this bad by this this time in the future it will have these impacts right i mean you know sounding warnings is is great um being able to take action to be part of of you know hopefully providing um you know new solutions to help mitigate uh, uh that, that that's really rewarding and you know i i i don't believe that it's as bad as as some of my you know some of my colleagues say i mean it's you know yes it's bad yes we have to solve things but i, I think these ideas like you know if we don't fix it next year, then we'll never come back. And I, I just, I really don't like that line of thinking, right? 20 years from now, uh, you know, people would be really annoyed with us by saying, well, we just threw up our hands because, you know, we didn't do something by next year. And so then we all quit, right? Yeah. I, I, it's, it's always, it's always functional um, to, to work towards solutions, right? And, you know, the old, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, this quote has been mis misattributed so many times. The whole, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. That's, I mean, that's yeah. It's great. To, I, it's good to hear from someone who, uh, a man in your position who, who is on the front lines and knows most about this. So yeah, um, it, it's it's one of the things we like to do on this uh, on this podcast. Burke uh, is my final question for you. Yeah. Um, is we call the Fugitives podcast. I always like my guests to make a prediction for the future, um, almost like mm -hmm. an audio time capsule uh, <laughs> that we can play back in, you know, five, 10, 50 years time. Um, so uh, take your time to think about this. Uh, we can maybe cut out some thinking time in the edit, but could you give me a prediction for the future? Um, in a couple of sentences, you can pick any year. It can be five years from now, 50 years from now, and insert a sentence of your prediction for the future. And it could be related to waves or, or something completely different. So uh, yeah, please, in, in your own time, um, take it away. Oh boy. Yeah. So you know, let, let's go with the, the optimistic, what, what I hope for in, in 20 years, you know, so in 20 years, I, I think, I anticipate that we've got a very diversified renewable energy portfolio, and WAVE will be a growing part of that. I anticipate that we will solve the energy storage uh, challenge right now, because that's the, you know, uh, it's another, you know, great math problem uh, for, for your, your listeners, right? If you were to take the energy in, you know, a liter of, of gasoline uh, and calculate how much energy that is. It's, it's a staggering amount, right? And compare that to the energy effectively, the work that could be done by a horse in a, you know, uh, in a day, right? So that's sort of the, the horsepower concept, right? And, and fossil is, you know, it's why, you know, the population, it's why the, you know, the, Earth system has been revolutionized has captured that fossil. But the reason for that is because fossil is such an efficient energy storer, mm. right? Fossil is ultimately solar, right? You know, it was, it was produced by photosynthesis, uh, you know, that, that generated, you know, this storable form of energy tens of millions of years ago. Right. And so naturally there's an energy storage system that boomed the fossil revolution, right? We have, uh, again, with calculations you know, that you need to scale, we have 
a vast excess of available energy in solar, wind, wave, hydro. What we don't have is a very good way to store that energy. So in the peak of the solar day, uh, you know, in Arizona, let's say, you know, the, the amount of solar energy that's available is huge. But we're not very good at capturing and storing that for later use, right? So you have to, you know, it's 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 kind of the you know back to the the stable producer in the portfolio. You know, you can't grab that noontime solar profit and put it in a bank somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you know, right now we're we're all stuck on batteries. Um, I, you know, batteries are great. We can build that technology better. I don't think it has ultimately the capability to store energy uh, that we need. So that, that's, that's my, you know, hopeful prediction. But wow. Fantastic. In 20 years, we've, we've solved the storage problem so that we can capture this available excess of, of renewable energy. Amazing. That is fantastic. Thank you for your prediction, Burke. Um, right. Well, Burke, <laughs> thank you so much for your time as well uh, for joining me today and, and discussing about wave energy. Um, before I let you go, if anyone has resonated uh, with some of the things that you've said or discussed, um, feel free to shout out um, any websites or, or useful links or even your social yeah. media. Uh, yeah. So I, I am uh, Burke Olater at on Twitter. Packwave uh, has a website, packwaveenergy.org. Uh, and, you know, right now it's, it's basically spelling out, you know, what where we are in the construction process, you know, hopefully uh, we're, we're starting to generate environmental data from the site that is, is, you know, becoming live there, you know, hopefully in a couple of years, we'll be, you know, able to talk about, you know, total energy put back on the grid and you can, you know, watch that and link it to wave states and things like that. So, so keep an eye on that one. Yeah, fantastic. Well, look, Burke, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a real uh, eye-opener for me, and I'm definitely going to take away some uh, some really useful and key information that you discussed today. And uh, yeah, I hope our listeners have as well. So thank you very much for your time. Excellent. Thanks so much. So there we have it, folks. Thank you once again to Professor Burke Hales for joining me on this episode. As always, folks, if you've made it this far and you enjoy listening to the podcast, feel free to give us a like or a follow wherever it is you listen to this podcast. And remember, you can always check us out and follow us on our socials. We are at Fugitives across the board. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Telegram. So that's all for now. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Fugitives podcast. Bye for now.